Hi, I'm Tanner Olson, and welcome to another episode of Walk a Little Slower, a podcast where I share a little hope, a little love, and a little bit of what I've been learning. This is a podcast where you are invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually keep going. Welcome. Hello, hello. Today's episode is going to be just a little bit different. I have a guest. I will be joined by my friend Holly Oxhandler. Holly is a licensed master social worker and is the author of the book, The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others. This is a book that gives helpers and caregivers permission to stop, reconnect with the stillness in their souls, and renew their capacity to help others by helping themselves. Holly is a good friend, someone who I have known for several years. Her work has has impacted me. It has inspired me and encouraged me to to keep going, to keep writing, to to keep digging. And so I'm excited for her to be the very first guest on the Walk a Little Slower podcast. I really think that you're going to not only enjoy this conversation, but enjoy her book as well. And you can you can find that in the show notes connected to this episode. So I won't waste any more time. Uh, This is my interview, my conversation with my good friend, Holly. And stick around towards the end of the podcast episode. She shares two two poems that are her favorites. So with that, here is my conversation with Holly. I never know exactly how to start interviews. So I figure if I just say I don't know how to start interviews, then that's that's the start of the interview. There you go. I shouldn't say interview. This is a conversation. <laughs> this is a conversation. It is. Yes. So yes. For, the, for those who are listening, will you share with us a little of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, Tanner, I'm so honored to be here with you. It's so fun to actually see you and yeah. um, just to have the opportunity to get to, to chat with you. Um, so for listeners, my name is uh, Holly or Dr. Holly Oxhandler. I'm the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development. Um, at Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, and I uh, study the intersection of spirituality and mental health. Um, I co-host a podcast called CXMH, which is a podcast on the intersection of faith and mental health, which Tanner has been a guest on multiple times at this point. Um, and yeah, I, I live in Waco, Texas. Uh, I've been married for like a little over 10 years. Uh, we have two kiddos, Callie and Oliver. And I just had a book come out called The Soul of the Helper. So Yes. And that's why you're yeah. on the podcast for a lot of reasons. Uh, mm. But the book, The Soul of the Helper. But you you went so fast over, you just were like, you know, I'm a doctor. Sorry, my I have all these <laughs> letters around my name. Oh. I, I think I think you just, I, I'm very proud of all the work that you've done. And it's super cool. As somebody who has no letters Aww. around their name, uh, which I'm very proud of that, by, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that's really, that's really awesome. So I'm excited to have you on Aww. the podcast as my first official guest. Oh and, my gosh. Such and an honor. to share about the book, The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages of Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself so that you can see it in others, which is a awesome title for a book uh okay how did the title for the book come yeah how did the title of the book come out yeah 
Yeah. So we, well, I would say that, um, and you, you probably know this too from your own writing experience that the title can go through lots of different phases and shifts and shapes and changes. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe yours was exactly the same the whole way through. No. I don't know, but ours, mine changed. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it always had this essence around these stages of seeing the sacred within yourself so that you can see it in others. Um, and the soul of the helper kind of evolved over time. I think at one point we had namaste theory, like as the heading or something about namaste was in there, which I know we'll talk about. Um, but, but really what I love when we landed on the soul of the helper is that it really encapsulates both the mental health side, the psychology side that is in this book, as well as the spiritual side, mm-hmm. um, because uh, for our listeners, fun fact, um, psyche, the translation actually is soul. Um, and in psychology, we, you know, and, and in mental health fields, this area of faith and spirituality is an important part of many folks' lives. And so that's kind of where the soul piece came in. And then with Helper, it really, this book is really written to serve everyday helpers, regardless mm-hmm. if they are caregivers or partners or parents or teachers or authors or speakers mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just anyone who is in one way, shape or form serving others. Uh, that's really what, what I was wanting to write this book um, or who I was wanting to write it for just recognizing all of the ways in which folks are serving others. Um, especially these days. Yeah. When, when you were writing it, were you thinking like, uh, well, this is a book that is, is for everyone, even for those who don't think it is for them. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I know that, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, when we write books, we really have that target audience that we are specifically thinking about um, as we're mm-hmm. writing the book. And for me, it originally started with mental health care providers and faith leaders and volunteers kind of working mm-hmm. within those spaces. Um but over time, it very quickly became clear that, no, this really is for the everyday helper. And even though yeah. mental health care providers and faith leaders may catch the the vision for this book and understand it because they are living at this intersection on a day-to-day basis, the reality is so are each of us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk in this book about the prevalence of mental health struggles as well as... Um, the prevalence of those who identify as being spiritual. And it really is a vast majority of us in both of those areas. Um, and so we really are all kind of living at this intersection and we're all serving others in one way, mm-hmm. shape or form. So, yeah. And I yeah. think from season to season two, people will see, I'm thinking of the people who may not necessarily be married or have children, or maybe they're mm-hmm. just someone who's just very focused in on their job. And they're like, well, this really isn't for mm-hmm. me. I'm very focused on, on work and all the things that I do. But I think then yeah. there's these seasons of your life where you then find yourself in the role of, of the helper, where that yeah. maybe it is now, now you are in a relationship or you're taking care of parents who are uh, coming towards the end of their life. Like, so there mm-hmm. is, I think, you know, as I'm reading this book, and as I told you before we started, I was like, mm-hmm. I have not finished the entire book, but I that's because okay. every time I pick up and read it, I get inspired or I drift off into Aww. thinking of something else. And also I'm just really bad at finishing books. Like if I ever finish a book, like I think I need a trophy. Um, 
But <laughs> I'll send over but, some gold stars for you, friend. For each book but, that you finish, you can put a gold star on it. <laughs> well, I don't think you're going to be sending me a lot of gold stars. Uh, <laughs> if you were to send me gold stars for the books that I've started or books that I have ordered, oh, that's well, a different, I don't have enough gold different. stars for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I start reading it. And like, as I'm reading your book, I just like, oh, and then there's this and there's this. And then and one of the things mm. that stopped me yesterday as I was reading uh, is you quote fred rogers so you quote mr rogers uh thinking about and when i hear the word helper which is very it's the center word of the book cover uh when i hear that i either go towards enneagram twos the helper Mm -hmm. or i go Mm -hmm. to this quote from mr rogers and he says Mm -hmm. my mother would say to me look for the helpers you will always find people who are helping to this day especially in times of disaster i remember my mother's words and i am always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers so many caring for people in this world can you talk yeah. just a little bit about helpers and and caregivers yeah oh my gosh yes i first of all i love that you brought up that quote and i so adore fred rogers and mm-hmm. his presence is just threaded throughout this book in ways that I hope really honor his legacy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, when when I'm talking about helpers and who the helpers and the caregivers are, um, I think you're right to think about the Enneagram twos or those folks mm-hmm. who most identify with that number on the Enneagram, those folks who are motivated deeply to serve others and just... Um, they just they they just want to serve and love others and and they struggle too with receiving love which is kind of woven in this but um but aside from the enneagram you know these helpers and caregivers you know we talk we think oftentimes with caregivers about those who are caring for parents or aging individuals or um, caregivers who are caring for individuals who have a spectrum of varying abilities um, and are unable to care for themselves Um, But I really do want folks who see themselves as teachers who are Mm -hmm. um, serving others, those who, you know, in that Fred Rogers quote, those folks who are serving during seasons of crisis, which, Mm -hmm. you know, we look over the last two years and even where we are right now, and we see that there are so many folks who are on the front lines serving others, and they may be the physicians in the in the um, ER who are serving COVID patients or their family members. It could be um, you know the first responders who are supporting others. You know when they're in you know the worst day of their lives. Um, it could be um, you know I, I even think about when I think about like helpers. I'm even thinking about like the baristas, right? Like at <laughs> right. Like I mean, I worked at Starbucks for five years, and I know that you know even though I was like you know, 21 years old. And like, I may not have thought of myself as a helper. The reality was there was a base note behind the work that I did, even as a barista that knew that what I was doing was serving others and, and having some kind of impact on their day. So did you work, did you work the morning shifts? Did you have those ones open? Well, I used, I I mean, I had seasons where I did the morning shift and I had seasons where I did the night shift, but the mornings were my favorite. Yeah. I I also got to be a barista and I have worked. I love that. I have worked in churches. I have worked for camps. I have done Mm -hmm. after school care. I have done a lot of jobs. The job where I felt like I was doing the Lord's work to the fullest mm. was to give people their first cup of coffee in the morning oh my gosh. because those I, people come amen. in and they yep. are not alive or awake. Yeah, and you right. give, that's when right. you give them coffee, yep. they're like, 
you have helped me start my day. You have yes, given me right. a reason to keep going that's and to continue. Right. And I just was and like, I remember that. Yeah, it's so funny. I love it, was, that. It, was a, it was a rough job because they weren't nice yes. when they got there. No. But when they no, were, no, when no. you handed them the coffee, <laughs> right. yes. it was like you met one person and then you were saying goodbye to another person. Very interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Yes. No, I totally, <laughs> I totally hear you. And I remember too, like not only the weight of like, you're giving them their first cup of coffee, but for some of these folks, you are the very first person that they are interacting mm-hmm. with for the day. And yeah. that matters. So mm-hmm. like, just going back to your questions around the helpers and caregivers, like, yes, like we, we, when we think of caregivers, we've kind of walked through those different roles. Um, but I do want folks to widen their scope and really see mm-hmm. that, it is anyone who is serving another human being in one yeah. way, shape, or form that is unique to the ways mm-hmm. in which they were equipped to serve others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when I think about, like, again, the word helper, like, I kind of go towards Mr. Rogers to Fred Rogers. And I also can't help but think about Jesus. And when I think about them, the word humility keeps coming up in my mind. Mm-hmm. And also how they're just, they were always patient and slow you know the videos of yes. uh, from, the, from the mr rogers neighborhood where he like mm-hmm. asks a question and then there's silence he leaves space for silence and he's just yes. he's he's a calming presence that is very much present and it mm-hmm. is and i and i see that when i read through the stories of the gospel too where jesus is mm-hmm. very present with the people that he's with and he's very he brings with him humility and kindness and he creates a space for them which in all the conversations i've had with you that's one of the things that not only do you talk about, but you're good at is you, you're able to kind of create a space that says, well, it's the whole, um, the idea of, you know, I, I, in one of my poems, I say the two sweetest words are welcome home. And if somebody mm. can, um, like give off of that, I don't want to say aura, cause that's a weird thing to say, but if you give off the aura of welcome home, that's a, that's a really, it's a really beautiful and, and calming thing. So, oh, thank you, um, so you mentioned that, that the idea, uh, there was an idea for the title to be the namaste theory. And this is something that you talk about in, in the book. Uh, when uh-huh. I hear the word namaste, I think of yoga. And I think about uh-huh. the couple of times I've tried to do yoga and it was just the most painful thing the next oh, day. No. It was just terribly, <laughs> oh, no. I was terribly sore. Um, but for what, what do you mean when you talk about, when you say the namaste, the namaste theory? Yeah. Yeah. I thank you for asking about that. Um, yeah. So, so as I, well, do you mind if I just give a brief backstory on some of the research? I won't get too technical, I promise, oh, but at least like for the, the story behind for it. it well, I'm helps. interested in it. Cause when I hear, like I said, when I hear the word namaste, I'm like, my mind uh-huh. goes somewhere else, but I think you're going to take it in a different direction. Yeah. Just a little, just a little bit. Okay. But I may bring yes. in some of what you were talking about, but so, um, so just, just to kind of set the stage for our listeners, um, so as I mentioned, the, the, a lot of the research that I do is on this intersection of spirituality and mental health. And um, as I have learned over the years that um, mental health clients tend to prefer that their faith be integrated into mental health treatment, um, th- we know that over about 80% of folks identify as being spiritual. Um, we know that Actually, even though uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness says that one out of five of us are currently struggling with a mental health condition, we know that over 80% of us will meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness at some point in our lives. And so this is something we, you know, kind of collectively are navigating as part of 
being humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of these areas of our lives are really important. And so as I've looked into this, um, particularly among mental health care providers and trying to understand like, you know, what, you know, what are mental health care providers views? You know, how open are they to talking about their clients' faith, um, knowing that, you know, clients prefer to talk about it and that when we integrate clients' faith into treatment, it actually, the research shows that they, that the treatment is either as effective, but in most cases, it's actually more effective than if we were to completely ignore this area of clients' lives. Mm. And so I really wanted to understand like, well, what is happening in mental health care then? Um, I found that these mental health care providers, they tended to have really positive views around integrating their clients' faith, but they weren't doing it as often. Um, And that the top predictor, so the thing that, you know, really is kind of driving behind, you know, whether or not they're integrating their clients' faith is how motivated the mental health care provider was to um, live out their own faith. So that was fascinating to me. And I, I I paid attention to that. And I started looking at some of the other research within like psychology and in counseling and more research in social work and marriage and family therapy, just these other mental health fields. And I found a similar pattern so that the more motivated the provider was to live out their faith, the more likely they were to integrate their clients' faith. So going back to your question about this word namaste, I too, when I was in grad school, <laughs> when I first started doing yoga, and I remember the or the, the teacher ending each session with this term namaste, but I only like vaguely knew what it meant. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to get to um, the cultural roots and origins of this Sanskrit term. It literally translates to mean, I bow to you, Um, but more Mm. generally, we understand it to mean the sacred within me recognizes the sacred within you, or the divine in me, or the image of God within me honors the Mm. image of God within you. Um, And as I really dug more into the cultural roots of this term, I understood that this is kind of what I was seeing happening within my data, that the more the mental health care provider was um, the more connected they were to the sacred within themselves, the more likely they were to pay attention to the sacred within their client. So this that's kind of where Namaste theory was born and, and written about in 2017. Um, but it um, but as I've kind of like lived into it and talked with other helpers, I've just realized this is this theory is not just for mental health care providers. Mm -hmm. It truly is for um, helpers in general, including many of the ones that we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the the last two years, or even as I'm growing older, I just see how, and I talk about this all the time, and it's not groundbreaking by any means, but just how heavy and hard and difficult and weird life is. And I don't think, I, I don't know if that's something that we don't talk about enough. Maybe we talk about it too much, but like, life is just a really, really hard thing. And then when life is hard, it's Mm -hmm. also, I have found as someone who follows Jesus, it is also hard to find time to take care of not only my mental health, but also my relationship with God, finding that time to sit and to pray and to read scripture and to worship. It is, it's difficult, especially when the noise around is loud and when life just feels heavier than it usually is. Um, mm-hmm. how have you, 
have you seen, and this might be a strange question, but um, you, you mentioned like when a mental health care worker or provider is when their uh, when their spirituality or when their faith is more foundational, do you think that they're more effective as a caregiver then for mm. those who are sitting with them or seeing them as as a client or patient? Mm, that's a that's a good question. So, so one point just to clarify is that, you know, what we've seen is that the more motivated the provider is to live out their faith, like they really feel like, you know, they're deeply connected with their faith and it is Mm -hmm. kind of the driving force behind everything that they do. That's when they're more likely to integrate their client's faith. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think um, that what's really important and key is that the provider be deeply aware of what it is that they believe in, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what they believe in. Because, you know, mm-hmm. as a social worker, we really want to honor the diversity of different yeah. faith traditions and backgrounds. You know, I know you you disclosed um, as identifying as Christian. Similarly, the same is true for mm-hmm. me, that that is my background is in Christianity and um, both Catholicism and Protestant Christianity. Um, but I think really the key is that the mental health care provider spend that mm-hmm. time of carefully tending to and recognizing what it is that they believe in, why they believe what they believe in, um, and just cultivating that space to get curious about their inner landscape in this area so mm-hmm. that, you know, they can comfortably hold that space for their client, regardless yeah. of what the client comes in believing in, you know, mm-hmm. they have that groundedness within themselves yeah. of what they believe in. Yeah. yeah. It's just recognizing I, you know, you know, maybe pulling in questions like, you know, what is God saying to you in this season? Or mm. how is your, what, what is your faith like, uh, in this hard time or, or whatever it may be. But I think that's really important. That's, that's cool. I don't think we yeah. think about that a lot. We're just like, oh, they, the, uh, like, I don't go to a doctor because he is like, he understands my, like my faith or integrates my faith into how my broken arm is healing. But we yeah. do that when it comes to when, we, when we're taking care of the soul, we're taking care of like what's yes. happening or going inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Describe for us the the journey of seeking the sacred, because you mentioned that when talking about the namaste theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, so I talked about the research, and as it, it kind of began to surface, I you know, and I was talking with other helpers about this. I realized that you know, well, what I'll say is that as researchers, our research changes us. Like anyone yeah. who says otherwise, I don't know that I believe them. So yeah, your, I would love work, to, to have a work, conversation. Your work yeah. should change you. Yeah. Yes, yes, it changes yes. you. That's right. And, well, and, so, that's, and that, I'm going to interrupt you because no, I see please, that, I see that a lot too. We're having a conversation. This is not an interview. That's um, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like after college, a lot of my friends, they went on to get master's degrees and mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. completely done with college. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, they became, some became pastors and doctors and professors and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And their work obviously has changed them. And I went into writing and that yeah. for me has changed everything Oof. about my life. It's not my identity, yes. but it's changed right. exactly how I interact with this and with this yes. and with you and with yes. everyone. And I'm sure yes. the same is for you as well, because Yes. We're as, as different as our jobs may be, it is a lot of soul work. It is a lot of yeah, sitting is. with what is and feeling yeah. the weight and the heaviness of it and not yeah. not giving not giving an answer or finding a way out, but finding ways yeah. to kind of live with it 
and then to yeah. take the next right step forward. So that's right. Yes, that's your right. work certainly has to change you. And I'm sure this book yes. changed a lot for you. Oh, yes, it did. Oh, yes, it absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> Yes. I mean, okay. So back yeah, to the sacred. Yes. yes. No, 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 no. It's good. I love that you said all of that. And I appreciate you sharing about how the work has changed you. And, you know, and I just want to note too, yes, you know, having folks who get degrees along the way, all it is, is training. It doesn't change. Like mm-hmm. you said, it doesn't change our identity. We are our identity, you know, and, and as I write about in this book, it, that we are beloved as yeah. we are, those degrees, those achievements, those, they just, they don't define us. Um, mm-hmm. This is just the journey that we are on. And so mm-hmm. the, this journey though, of, of seeking the sacred, it really started to bubble up and surface. Like as I was leaning into and allowing the research to change me and, and embody this research and thinking like, you know, if this is what is happening in in this particular setting. And I'm seeing that this is happening for helpers in general, as they wake up to the sacred within themselves and the ways in which they're better able to see that in others. Like, what does that mean for me and my own journey? And how have I maybe already been on that path even before the research? And then how does the research change me moving forward? So this, um, so these stages, there's seven of them. They are, I'll, I'll say them quick and then I'll explain like how they're all connected. Um, but the seven stages are um, speed, slow, steady, still, see, shift, and serve. And the heartbeat that kind of threads them all together is this understanding that we need to wake up as fellow helpers to the speed at which we are operating. Mm-hmm. Um completely unaware so often, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to then be able to slow down, to identify those steadying structures that support us and offer scaffolding for us to mm-hmm. stay in that slower pace so that we can then actually be still, which is so hard for a million <laughs> reasons. I appreciate the solidarity on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it isn't, I mean, the reality though, is it isn't until we are still that we can Mm -hmm. really and truly see the sacred within ourselves. And then once Mm -hmm. we see the sacred within that we did nothing to earn, that we did nothing to hustle for, that was prepackaged within us before we were born, then we are invited to shift with self-compassion or with compassion toward ourselves and towards others. Um, as we then go out and serve the sacred within ourselves and those around us. So that's kind of the whole arc of this journey. And it's yeah. absolutely, I mean, it's certainly not linear. I, it has to right. be linear in order to be in a book. But um, but the reality is, is that we go through these stages, but we will bounce back from one stage to another at certain points along the journey. Um, yeah. And that's just part of it. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. Um a lot of the, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was, well, you know, kind of going over the the seven things you just said, a lot of it was just like to invite mm. you to, to slow down. Uh, yes. But another reason was I kept getting a lot of questions about writing a book and releasing books and all of the yeah. ins and outs of all of that. So I'm going to ask you a very broad question about that. What was, <laughs> okay. what was the, the, we kind of talked a little bit about the writing process where it was just a lot. But for mm. you, what was releasing this book like? Mm. I know we were talking about just before hitting record. 
it's still every time I hear the question, it's like there's a weight to it, right? Because it's so yeah. it's so it's it's just um, it's complex. I will say that the process of releasing the book has been tender and it has been I'm thankful that it's been in alignment with my core values of love mm-hmm. and integrity um I am grateful that you know even though maybe some of my practices my contemplative practices that I write about have had to wobble a little bit mm-hmm. in this season like there's still a core base note of who I am and who this book is that is just able to launch out with consistency um it's been really sweet seeing it intersect with other people and their journeys mm-hmm. because I know, like, I will say that the, the, the process of writing the book really and truly was the reward. Um, mm-hmm. Like I love seeing it get out there, but the fact that I got to wake up each morning really early just to spend time with this book and let it shape me for yeah. about three and a half years, like that was the gift. And mm-hmm. so to see it go out there into the world, um, you know, there are like practical things in terms of like trying to, you know, connect with folks and, you know, get the book kind of in front of certain folks. But I'm just thankful that it it has, that through the whole process, it has felt in alignment with who I am. Like, that's really sweet. Yeah. I don't know if that yeah. answers your question. I'm hoping it does, but it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I could go into like the technical, like here's no. five steps of things that worked, but that's not... <laughs> That's not think, at the yeah. my core what it has that's not been right. what's most important, you know? Right. It's been yeah. it's been staying connected with my core values through the mm-hmm. process of the launch. Yeah. And I think if I was somebody listening to this podcast and you had just said, you know, I could give you the, you know, the five things, I would like I'd be like, I wanna hear that. But also mm. I think that is one of those things that it's different for everybody. Absolutely. And yes. If yes. when you take a step down the road of writing and releasing and yes. publishing or self-publishing, yes. like you yep. will find out those things for you. And yep. as someone who's put out a couple of book a couple of books, mm-hmm. uh, I have learned something or five somethings or ten somethings with every release and I've gotten more and more comfortable with it. Yeah, um, but that's good. Yeah. Well, as, and as, you know, yeah. well, and you know too that launching a book in COVID. So I didn't even mention oh. that. Like you know, like just launching a book, period. But then doing it in the midst of COVID and mm-hmm. what that has been like has been, you know, that just adds a whole other layer to yeah. it. Of, mm-hmm. gosh, everybody is exhausted and tired and like, yes, I'm really excited about this book, but I want to be mindful of where yeah. folks are in terms of their exhaustion and yeah. fatigue. Um, and also I can't do all the fun in-person things that I had really hoped for. Um, the book was delayed like a month or two Mm -hmm. because of COVID and shipping delays and supply chains and blah, blah, blah. But, but at the end (laughs) of the day, it's just, um, I mean, it's just, it's good. It's out there. So, yeah. As you were, as you're talking about writing the book and how it has, has changed you, um, I think that's kind of that's what it is. Right. And, and when I think back yeah. on the things that I've gotten to write and then release for me, it's, you know, people are like, you know, why would I, why would I want to buy this book? And my answer is, well, this book mm-hmm. has invited me into something better and now yes. may it do the same thing for you. Um, and yes. that's the hope is that like when they, when they yeah. read through the, the, the seven things, when they sit with these pages and these quotes and the stories, the personal stories that you share mm. in this book, I hope that it's one of those things where it's, wow, this person has kind of gone before me in this direction. 
and mm. they're sharing with me the the hard, the heavy, and the good things that have all come out of that. Now let yeah. this change me and my steps as well. Yes. Not that it's going to make yes. everything better, but it right. might make things exactly. just a little bit lighter. And I think that's, yes. that's important too. Oh, I um, really appreciate that. Yeah. This, yeah. this is definitely the book that 10 years younger version of me would have very much appreciated, but, yeah. um, yeah. you know, and, and I don't even know that it's an age thing. I think it's just the fact that there are certain seasons of life that, you know, we just need those reminders. So, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, it's full of really, as far as I've read so far, I don't want to be like, mm-hmm. I've read the entire book. That would be a lie. Um, <laughs> but I will get a gold star when it happens. Um, uh, yes, you it, will. <laughs> <laughs> but the things that I'm reading in there, like I said, it, it has brought me to a place where I get to pause and reflect on it. And I think when you read something that allows mm. you to put the book down, it's just as good as yeah. a book that makes you want to keep reading it. Like putting yeah. it down to think about it, not yes. putting it down because I cannot read it. Um, right, so, right, right, right. Yep. Yeah. So anyways, congratulations on, on the you. book. Where thank can thank people you. find you, connect yeah. with you and get the book? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, so folks can find me. Uh, my website is hollyoxhandler.com and I'm on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Folks can get the book wherever they buy their books. Um, it's on Amazon and, um, they can get it from Templeton Press's website. There's a discount over there that folks can get. Um, so yeah. So, and then I've got all the other links on my website. Um, if they go, or if they go to the soul of the it'll take them straight awesome. to where the book is. Yeah. Cool. Well, I will link your website in the show notes on this mm. podcast episode. Before you go, though, you had yes. a very important job. I asked you yeah, last it, minute <laughs> to no, it, if it you really, could scare actually, a poem. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it actually wasn't that last minute. I just took a <laughs> lot of time because it is very hard for me to decide which poem mm-hmm. because poetry is just... It's, I mean, it, it, it's life changing, and yeah. I, the stack of poetry books I have is just, um, yeah. So, it, is it okay if I actually do two? Is that okay? I would love that. Yes. Oh I would my love gosh! That. Thank you. So, I had a really hard time with this. First, I'm going to read a Tanner Olson poem, um, <laughs> and I was really torn between one is your reminder, which mm. is probably one of my favorites, but. Um, and I have that sticker on my planner still of that. But the one I'm actually going to read is coffee because I think I told you this. When I read this poem, I wept the first time mm. because it is exactly my experience of writing before the mm-hmm. sunrise and watching the mm-hmm. sunrise. So, so I'm awesome. going to read this one if that's okay. Great. I look forward okay. to it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got stained teeth and burnt breath but a beat that's staying alive in my chest. I've been waking up early to sit with the sunrise and watch your beauty meet my barely open eyes. The light breaks through, reminding me I can make it through. And it's the first morning sip that reminds me of grace and what I can only imagine is a smile on your face. And for a moment, it's just you and me and a cup of coffee watching the waking world beginning to be. The other morning I read, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed and I am beginning to see, I do not need to see you to believe you are with me. You are, you are with me. And it's almost as if every sit brings us together. And if that brings us together, we'll never be apart. 
I love that one. I'm like Thank tearing you. up just reading it now. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that's the first one. How was yeah. it actually? How is it hearing somebody else reading it? It's good. Uh, you read it, you read it differently than I do, which is what I was hoping you would. Uh, you read it a lot slower than I do, uh, mm. but that's because I'm just a fast talker, especially when it comes to poetry. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you read it, and that's the thing about about poetry is yes, is it is what I think, and this is where I get artsy with my writing. Mm. What I write is often what I need to write, but what I'm also writing is I'm, I'm writing it for other people. And then when you mm -hmm. hand that to them, they get to do whatever what whatever what they want to do with it. And so they mm. can read it fast, they can read it slow, they can cross out a word like it is that's the mm. that's one of the difficult things is your what you have created then becomes a gift for the world and they get to do yeah. with it as they please. And so there is no incorrect way for you to read what I wrote. There is only an incorrect way for me to respond to the way that you read what I wrote. Oh, well, I appreciate that. But yeah. I, I just, I'm so grateful for your poetry thank um, you. and the ways that it has helped shape me. So thank you mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, of course. And thank you for allowing me to, to read a second. So yes. the second one that I'm going to read is, um, from Coleman Barks translation of the essential Rumi. Um, this is one of uh, Rumi's poems, who he yeah. is a 13th century Persian poet. Um, and this is a, a poem that I actually read to my students just about every semester at the beginning, because I want yeah. them to have this kind of in mind as they are um, going through the course. So, so this poem is called Two Kinds of Intelligence. And he writes, there are two kinds of intelligence. When acquired as a child in school memorizes facts and concepts from books and from what the teacher says, collecting information from the traditional sciences as well as from the new sciences. With such intelligence, you rise in the world. You get ranked ahead or behind others in regard to your competence in retaining information. You stroll with this intelligence in and out of fields of knowledge, getting always more marks on your preserving tablets. There's another kind of tablet, one already completed and preserved inside you. A spring overflowing its spring box, a freshness in the center of the chest. This other intelligence does not turn yellow or stagnate. It's fluid and it doesn't move from outside to inside through the conduits of plumbing learning. The second knowing is a fountain net head from within you moving out. So that is the second poem. That's really good. I feel like that really comes alongside your mm -hmm. work really well. Oh. It's, that poem just kind of s screams um, your, your sacred. Oh, so, thank you. yeah, yeah. Well, this was fun. That's, this was so fun, my friend. I... Thanks for being my first guest on the Walk a Little oh, Slower podcast. Gosh, thank you for having me, and thank you for the good work you do, Tanner, because it really that. makes a difference in our world. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm excited. I, I, I've I've gotten to meet a lot of people on the internet, and I, I'm sure you have as well. But I haven't gotten mm -hmm. to take a lot of those from uh, internet acquaintances. There's like this weird, like, I know, yeah, it, the it stages, was, it be the st acquaintances <laughs> to, yes. we're friends uh -huh. to, 
oh, we're actually friends, to, no, 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 mm -hmm. like, we're for real friends. And I think we're mm -hmm. in that, no, 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 we're for real friends. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, so, I agree, yeah. I agree. It's, yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for being a friend, a real friend, and yes. for the work that you, you do, too. I hope that everyone goes and picks up your book. Um, also, mm. when I first saw the cover of it, I thought, oh my gosh, that looks like a book that Oprah would hold up. Oh, my friend, <laughs> like, thank you. And I, don't, and I don't know if it's because the O <laughs> on it just kind of is like that Maybe. Oprah yeah. O, but it just kind of looked like a book that Oprah would hold up and be like, you, you have to have this book. <laughs> Look under your seats. You know, like that's what I oh think my gosh. I see the cover. Man, so, I hope that happens for you. Maybe. Oh, I hope so. We'll see. Yes. Yeah. And if, if we'll Oprah have sent you to this podcast. Little, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, let's have both. Let's have Walk yeah. a Little Slower and The Soul the Helper side by side deal. under. Yeah, that's right. Yes. yes. Well, if anybody is listening to this podcast because Oprah sent you here, we want to give a special shout out to <laughs> Oprah. All right. I love it. I'm going to let you go. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Again, I know this episode was a little bit different, but I really wanted to share this conversation that I had with Holly with all of you. Her work has meant so much to me and it continues to, to leave a lasting impression on, on myself and I hope it does the same for you as well. In the show notes, you can find ways to not only connect with Holly, but purchase her book. And I really, I really think that you should. I'll be back next Monday with another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. And if you haven't yet subscribed, well, what are you doing? Subscribe. All right. I'll talk to you again real soon.